Hello and welcome to another edition of the From the Booth podcast. I'm Evan Eichen, he's Cody Clark. Cody, the NFL playoffs started with 12. We are now down to 8. Pretty exciting time for the first week and change of January, isn't it? Oh yeah, extremely exciting. The divisional round here, you know, we saw a lot of good matchups in that first weekend and and now we move into this second weekend and and many more intriguing matchups that we get to talk about. But yeah, the, you know, the NFL playoffs are just so fun. All of these teams uh, going up against one another and some of the matchups we have this weekend, Evan, are, are, are pretty fantastic. Yes, yes, they are. But before we get to that, let's talk about the four teams that didn't advance, and they are the Buffalo Bills, Philadelphia Eagles, New Orleans Saints, and New England Patriots. Out of those four, who are you the most optimistic going into 2020, and who are you the least optimistic about going into 2020? Ooh, that's a pretty good question. Uh, I would say I have, mm, that's so tough because I have New Orleans, Philly, you know, I want to say Buffalo, but again, I want to say Buffalo because I really love that roster, especially defensively. I'm a big, uh, big fan of that defense. You know, the way that they played all year really gave them a chance and definitely gave them a chance in that game against Houston. So I really like Buffalo, but then, you know, how can you argue with the New Orleans Saints? Uh, you know, what is Drew Brees going to do? Will he continue to stick around? Even if he doesn't, uh, we saw what Teddy Bridgewater did when he stepped in for Drew Brees. So if you're able to keep Teddy Bridgewater and you move on from Drew Brees, I would think New Orleans is in a good spot. And then Philadelphia, you know, if you are able to get Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey back healthy, all of a sudden that's a team that, you know, I know I picked to go to the Super Bowl. A lot of people picked to go to the Super Bowl. Injuries derailed that. But you look at, at if they get healthy – then you're looking at, uh, you know, another Super Bowl run maybe for that Philadelphia Eagles team. So, you know, I'm going to say Buffalo because I really like that defense and I'm just so intrigued by Josh Allen. I think he's got all of the tools. And if he can just continue to mature, continue to, you know, work on taking care of the football, if they're able to add, you know, maybe just one more weapon out wide for that Buffalo offense, uh, I really think this Bills team could uh, could make a lot, a lot of noise in that division. The Buffalo Bills have the fourth most available cap space going into 2020, and you would expect that money to go to upgrading the offensive line, getting another weapon for Josh Allen, maybe replacing Frank Gore. They're going to have to replace Lorenzo Alexander. He has already announced his retirement following the loss to Houston. I feel the most optimistic about Philadelphia because Carson Wentz was dragging that team to the playoffs. By the end of the year, they were missing Deshaun Jackson, Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks, Nelson Aguilar wasn't playing, Alshon Jeffrey wasn't playing, Jordan Howard wasn't playing, and then by the end of the Seattle game, Carson Wentz himself was not playing. Their, right. their top wide receiver was a converted college quarterback who at this time last year was signed to the San Antonio Commanders of the Alliance of American Football, a league that did not finish its, its, its one and only season. If that is what Carson Wentz is going to be able to do with that group of guys around him and still get to the playoffs, the prospect of him with healthy skill position guys, the right side of his offensive line, and the top running back. That's pretty terrifying that if you gave Carson Wentz all of the weapons he had at the beginning of the year, this would be a much more dangerous team than down to Greg Ward and Boston Scott. So I have the most optimism about Philadelphia. The team I'm the least optimistic about, and I'm Really kind of scared to say this because every time we say that they're dead and buried, they go like 13-3 and three and win a Super Bowl, is the New England Patriots because they've already lost their special teams coordinator. All signs are pointing to losing Josh McDaniels to the Cleveland Browns if they hire him as head coach, as most people expect them to do. Tom Brady is going into his age 43 season, and he's a free agent. This team could look drastically different come August than they do right now 
So I think that's why they're my pick for the least optimistic, because I don't know what this team's going to look like in five, six months. No, that's a great point. I mean, with Brady's uncertain future, you know, I'm just I'm just so intrigued to see what happens here in New England because you're exactly right. You know, Brady's future is up in the air. Do they decide to bring back Brady, you know, and Belichick? You know, does Brady leave? Does Belichick leave? Do they both leave? Do they both stay? You know, there's a lot of questions surrounding this team. And, you know, the, the offense's inability to be effective late in the season – really for the entire season, but especially as the season wore on and injuries mounted and those sorts of things, you know, that's what people pointed to as the Achilles heel of this team because, you know, we look at it and special teams uh, defensively, not going to be an issue. You could argue both of those units, uh, number one in the NFL, but their problem was on offense. They couldn't score points. They only put up 13 against Tennessee, and that was a recurring mantra throughout the entirety of the season, particularly late in the year. And, you know, if they do decide, you know, that Tom Brady is going to come back, you know, Brady has said he's not going to take a hometown discount. He wants to be compensated. Uh, and I don't blame him, The you know, the amount of times that he's retooled those uh, contracts and those deals to make it work for that team. Brady has, I think, had about enough of that. And, you know, so if, if the Patriots aren't able to make a few things happen there, Tom Brady has said he wants to play. So will he stick to that and if new england you know starts to starts to yank him around on the contract or anything like that does he put his foot down and say okay fine i'm out the door and will we see him playing in another another uniform next year i think there are some fascinating questions around this new england patriots team i'm with you evan i'm not quite ready to declare them uh dead and buried but the but next year's iteration of this patriots team could look drastically different than what we've seen out of that franchise, you know, really for, for our entire lives. Cody, since the Patriots got knocked out of the playoffs with the Tennessee Titans, there's been a lot of speculation on the future of Tom Brady about whether or not he's going to come back. He's turns 43 in August. He is scheduled to be a free agent. He's already gone on Instagram and said he's not retiring. So him being out of the NFL is not an option. At least according to him, he's not going to retire. I would put the chances of Tom Brady playing in another uniform at around 5%. Mostly because I think Robert Kraft is going to say, absolutely not, Tom Brady is our quarterback for as long as he wants to be our quarterback. I don't care if he's 43. If Tom Brady wants to be our quarterback in 2040 when he's 63, he's still going to be our quarterback. Um <laughs> The one team I've heard floated out a lot is the Chargers, which from a football standpoint doesn't make a lot of sense because you're trying to sell to the Chargers fans. We're moving off of an aging Phillip Rivers to get an even older guy in Tom Brady. But on the business side, you're opening a new stadium. You are struggling to sell tickets and there is no buzz whatsoever about the LA Chargers. So outside of a football context, going to get Tom Brady is a great way to energize that fan base, but that is a hard sell to the Chargers fans. Yeah, I, I mean, that makes sense, Evan, from an older quarterback moving on to an older quarterback. I get that aspect of it, but I don't think either of, either of us would argue that Brady appears to be much more efficient and have more left in the tank than Phillip Rivers does. And when you look at the roster that the Chargers have, particularly offensively, Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler, Hunter Henry, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. You look at that roster offensively, compare that to what the Patriots had, and all of a sudden you've got a very, very interesting mix there. Uh, the uh, LA Chargers defense, not as stout as New England, but there's a lot of talent on that side of the ball as well, and they're definitely a, 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 a unit that can hold their own. And if you gave Brady those weapons, I mean, he's going to score you some points, I think, still even at the age of 43. So that's interesting because I, I do agree that a Brady headlining that team would help sell some tickets. It would be an interesting look in terms of how does this affect us in the long term. But in the short term, for maybe one or two more years, if you're able to keep those weapons for Tom Brady, 
man, I, I, I would like his chances to do something there for sure. And it's not just Tom Brady. Here are some other notable New England Patriots that are going to be free agents. Devin McCourty, Kyle Van Noy, and special teams ace Matthew Slater. Those are three incredibly important pieces to that defense and special teams that might not be on that team next year. So there is a lot in flux for the 2020 New England Patriots. Does that mean that Buffalo was going to leapfrog them in the AFC East? Probably not. But it is going to be a fascinating offseason of what this team's going to look like in March and April because, Cody, remember, they don't have a second-round pick. They traded away to the Falcons to get Mohamed Sanu. So they have a first-round pick and a third-round pick. And picking in the high 20s, if they wanted to replace Tom Brady after this year, you're going to miss out on Tua, Herbert, and Joe Burrow. Your best chance is getting a Jake Fromm, a Jacob Eason, maybe a Jalen Hurts. Like Outside of like the consensus top three guys, there isn't a lot of excitement out of the 2020 quarterback class. No, there's not. And so that's when you're looking at the, you know, the Teddy Bridgewaters, the Ryan Tannehills, the, the Mariotas, the, you know, that group, the Andy Daltons, you know, I think Tennessee will bring back Tannehill, uh, franchise him or, or sign him to a deal. So that's definitely going to probably take him off the market, but yeah, you'd look at it and not a lot available in the draft where the Patriots would probably be picking. So lots of interesting decisions coming for, the Patriots, you know, if, you know, if Bill Belichick, Evan, wants to move off of Brady, but Robert Kraft wants to keep Brady, does that mean we, we don't see Bill Belichick with the, the Patriots next year? I, I just think there's a lot of questions still surrounding this team. And, you know, we'll probably look back at this and we'll all be laughing at ourselves because the Patriots will look the same. They'll make a move. Uh, they'll figure something out and they'll be right back in the playoffs next year. But you just look at it and go, man, there is the potential for this thing to look just completely and totally different than it has over the past couple of decades. I remember how dumb we all looked after that 2014 Kansas City game saying, it's over, Brady's done, put in Jimmy G. They've won three Super Bowls since then. Like It's, like, exactly it's, right. like, it's like the San Antonio Spurs thing. Until I see them not make the playoffs, I'm just going to say they're going to make it every year. I am so scared of picking against them, I'm just not going to do it. Uh, Speaking of looking different, there's only one head coaching job left, and that is the Cleveland Browns, and it looks like Josh McDaniels, who was scheduled to interview with them over the weekend, he is the front runner to get that job. Out of all of the head coaching candidates that have been hired, Matt Rule left Baylor to go to the Carolina Panthers. Joe Judge, the special teams coach and wide receivers coach of the Patriots, took over the Giants. We already knew about Ron Rivera to the Redskins, and Mike McCarthy is the new head man in Dallas. Out of those four hires, what is the most interesting for you out of those out of the four head coaching hires that we've heard so far? Oh, I think it's easily the Dallas Cowboys for me, Evan, because you know you look at what Mike McCarthy has been and what he was with the Green Bay Packers. This is a Dallas Cowboys team that has a a ridiculously good offensive line, albeit getting a little bit older, but still very good. And you have arguably the best running back in the NFL. Mike McCarthy is not a guy that is a run-first guy. And I think that a lot of the success that Dak Prescott has had and will have in the NFL is predicated on having that threat of running the football and using those play actions. And when you look at what Mike McCarthy brings, I think he brings a lot of experience, a lot of stability, none of, you know, Super Bowl experience. I'm not worried about any of that. But is Mike McCarthy going to try and spin this thing and and really rely on Dak Prescott from a passing perspective when you have a guy like Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield? And if he does, how does Jerry Jones handle that? Because Jerry Jones is not a guy to just sit back and let his coach do his thing. You know, if if we're going through two, three, four, five weeks of the NFL season and they're, you know, 65-35 pass to run, Jerry Jones is cutting a check for Ezekiel Elliott. You best believe he's going to have something to say about it. So I think Dallas is just so interesting with Mike McCarthy because of some of the trends that Mike McCarthy, uh, we've seen from teams that he's led in the past. 
really, really interested to see how that works out because we know how Jerry Jones is. And Mike McCarthy's a guy that strikes me as being somebody that I don't know if necessarily would be able to put up with that in the long term. So I'm very, very interested to see how that plays out in Dallas because of how that roster is currently constructed and the way that we've seen Mike McCarthy call games in the past. It also should be noted that offensive coordinator Kellen Moore was retained on the staff. He brought in Mike Nolan, who is a former NFL head coach, and Jim Tomsula is also former NFL head coach, is on that coaching staff. Do you, Is Mike McCarthy in the Freddie Kitchen seat in the sense that they're, I mean, he's not a first-year head coach, so it's not like that. I mean, in terms of we're going into the year, we have a lot of expectations, and if he doesn't live up to those expectations year one, do they just start over? I don't think, I, I guess it's tough to say, but I don't think they do because I think they will have a lot of success under Mike McCarthy. I just think there are some areas, like I pointed out there, the run-pass disparity, some of those things that could cause a rift between those guys. But I do think it'll be successful, so I don't think it'll be all, you know, I don't think it'll be very, very problematic, but it'll be interesting to watch some of those trends and you're paying Ezekiel, you know, a guy like Ezekiel Elliott top dollar if he's not being you know, used in some of those senses, I can see Jerry Jones uh, getting involved there and making comments and those sorts of things. So I think it's going to be successful. I like the hire, but I do think there are some interesting things to watch. So I don't think it'll be a blow it up after a year, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. We will have to wait and see. Sticking in the NFC East, easily the most interesting hire for me was Joe Judge. Because I had the same reaction everybody else did when this was announced. Like, who the hell is Joe Judge? (laughs) Like, I don't know who this guy is. And it's like, okay, so we worked under Nick Saban. He was the special teams coordinator. And, Cody, did you hear his press conference? Uh, I did not have a chance to see his press conference. The introductory press conference could best be described as, have you seen those internet memes where it's like, I forced a bot to watch 1,000 hours of blank and asked it to Uh write a script? Uh-oh. It was like I forced a bot to watch a year's worth of coach press conferences, and they hit all the cliches. He said, quote, We will play fast. We will play downhill. We will play aggressive. We will punch you in the nose for 60 minutes. We will play every play like it has a history and a life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude. We will play fundamentally sound. We will not beat ourselves. That is our mission right there. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means. Like I, it's all co- it's all coach speak, Evan. I think this is this is interesting for the Giants because I think this is a roster with the addition of some pieces on defense. You know, I don't think this roster is that far away. But to me, you know, you had a candidate out there like Matt Rule. You had him. You, I think you basically had him. I don't know if they were willing to make you know because Matt Rule has been he was there. Uh, as an assistant coach, and and he knows how it works. He sees how it works in terms of Dave Gettleman and those sorts of things in the front office. I don't know how you let that kind of guy not take the job. Do you, does that make sense? I don't know how you let that kind of guy get away when it, you know it would appear that he would be ready to come back and willing to come back. But there had to be some things that he wanted to to get changed that I guess the Giants didn't want to change. I, that was just kind of bizarre to me because, yeah, Joe Judge, that feels like such a, a random knee-jerk reaction to not getting your your man that was maybe presumably Matt Rule. I think the whole thing is just weird because I, I feel like you had a guy like Matt Rule out there. You've got to go get him. You've got to do whatever it takes. And instead, you kind of like awkwardly pivot when he goes to the Panthers you maybe overreact. You bring in a guy. I'm not, you know, I'm not. I'm not super concerned about bringing in a guy nobody's heard of. But there just isn't a track record. And you're in New York. You're the coach of the Giants. You you have Dave Gettleman. You've got this young team. A lot of different guys everywhere. I don't know. It just seems. I like where this roster is moving. We will see if it can continue to move that way with Joe Judge at the helm. It's going to be interesting to watch because I. I like you and like everyone else was like, wait, what did they do? From a personnel standpoint, I get it because special teams coaches 
have to deal with a 53rd guy on the roster all the time. Like, special teams guys, like, they get cycled in and out, so he's used to knowing what every position group is doing and how to work with guys. I mean, it wasn't all that long ago, I mean, well, yeah, 2008, that John Harbaugh was a special teams coach, and people only knew it was like, oh, that's Jim's little brother, and nobody thought that that was going to work, and he's won a Super Bowl, and now he's got Lamar Jackson and has the most exciting offense in the league. I'm not going to bury the hire and say it was a terrible idea because we haven't seen him as a coach. We don't know what he's going to be like. We have no idea. Uh, Matt Rule got a seven-year contract from the Carolina Panthers. That is quite the commitment. And there was something he said in the press conference that, to me, really stuck out. And I want to know what your thought, what your thoughts on this were. He was asked about Cam Newton going forward, and he said, I would like the opportunity to coach, like, something along the lines of, I would like the opportunity if I get the chance. They just hired you and Cam Newton is on the roster. What do you mean if you get the chance? I mean, that makes sense. But, I mean, he understands that while he probably has some say in it, I mean, that that's going to be a move that the front office makes. So while they, w- you know, they'll consult with Matt Rule and I think, uh, you know, they will all sit and get in a room and figure out what's the best way to do that. But, I mean, I definitely, you know, that answer makes sense to me because, you know, I don't think Matt Rule has the final say in that. So he's going to, he's saying, look, you know, if, if that's what the front office decides to bring him back, you know, I would really, really be looking forward to have him as our quarterback. But I think that's him saying, hey, you know what? It's a little out of my court. Uh, it's not, you know, I'm not going to have the final say on that. I would obviously love that. I would obviously look forward to that chance. But the guys in the front office, uh, above me are going to decide who it's going to be and, and I'm excited to get started. So it's a little awkward and cryptic, but I guess, I, you know, it makes sense to me because, you know, I don't think he's going to have the final say on that. Well, they gave him a seven-year contract that's about $10 million annually, annually. That's like borderline Gruden money. And if he wanted Cam Newton to be his guy, all he had to do was do what the Chicago Bears just did with Mr. Trubisky and say, he is our unquestioned starter for 2020, and we are putting a nail on this thing right now. And he's still under contract for one year. If Matt Rule wanted Cam Newton to be his quarterback, all he's got to do is say, he's our, Cam's our guy in 2020, and then we'll go from there. But instead, he said, quote, I certainly look forward to working with him. I hope so, but I don't know enough about really everything that's kind of happening right now. Which means that if the front office decides to move on with him, I mean, he, of course he's going to get some say in what they do. It's not going to be like a Jay Gruden, Dwayne Haskins thing. No, of course. Where Bruce Allen just says, yeah, we're just going to take this guy and you're and you're just going to be with him. I would think that Matt Rule would want to get his own guy. Carolina is picking him a top 10. They'll probably miss out on Tua, but they, they're in prime position to get Justin Herbert if... Matt Rule wants Justin Herbert to be his guy or somebody else. I mean, they're in a great draft position where if Matt Rule wants to go get his guy, he can go get him. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think they're definitely going to explore that because you have a Cam Newton who's coming off injuries. You've seen what Kyle Allen can can do. You saw what uh, Will Greer can do. So they're in a position where they're trying to figure out what what their move at quarterback is. And and that's definitely something that they're going to do. I like the fact that he got the seven-year deal uh, I mean, you know, even if it doesn't work out and he ends up staying, you know, three or four, you know, it's a commitment to a guy for those for that time period and saying, hey, you know, we we are bringing you in. We're committed to you. Let's build something here. You know, you saw with Shanahan to the 49ers, you know, that's why the Cleveland Browns are the way they are. It's because they bring in guys and they cycle through them and they fire them every other year, every year. There's no stability. And so the Panthers are making a commitment to rule and saying, hey, you know, we we want you to be our head coach and we're going to give you, you know, at least at the outset here, of course, everything's hunky-dory right now, but we're going to give you time to make that happen. And I think that's important because, you know, I like a guy like Matt Rule. I think he will be a good candidate and a good head coach for this Panthers team. And you give him some time to say, hey, you know, we know how it went this year. You know, we know we're, we're trying to find that next quarterback, but, you know, we think it can work three, four, five years down the road, and you show that commitment to him there and allow him to to coach that team and build that team and work towards you know getting that team back to the Super Bowl. So I do like that. Um, you know, and for me, the job that he's done at Baylor to turn that around, 
uh, definitely warrants uh, giving a, a guy like that, you know, the years and the money there. You know, if you said, you know, Joe Judge came out and got, you know, seven for seven for 70, I'd be like, oh, hey, oh, OK, that one's a little uh, that one's a little crazy. But he did get five years though. that he has. That nah, makes sense. I mean, Joe Judge did get five years, though. So he, he got a long ish contract, but not. And again, I like I like that commitment. You know, we all know that. You know, if if judges doesn't work out in year two, you know they're they're gonna move on from him. But it's the initial it's the initial faith to say, hey, you know, here, you know, here's the five year here's the five year deal, here's the six year deal. Um, I you know, I think Matt Rule is is worth closer to that number. I think he's proved to be in terms of turning programs around. I don't know the experience of Joe Judge, you know, so. You know, he got the five-year deal, which I think is good. It shows some commitment to him. But, you know, we just we just haven't really seen it as much out of Judge as we have with Matt Rule and what he's done, especially here recently with Baylor. But I think they could both be successful. And, again, you give them those deals and you show that commitment. I, I, I think that's important up front because, you know, we, we see how it goes the other way when you just have a quick trigger and you cycle in a new guy every year. We We... We read that story every year uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. Well, they still haven't hired a coach, the Browns, but all signs are pointing toward Josh McDaniels. Let's move on to the games. The first game on Saturday is the 49ers and the Vikings. So a couple of stats for you, Cody. All time, six seeds since the NFL expanded to a 12-team playoff in 1990. In the divisional round, all time, they are 5-19. and 19 and have wow. lost eight straight. The so history is not on Minnesota's side. Minnesota was two and four in outdoor games this year, but one of those outdoor wins was them going to the West Coast and beating the L.A. Chargers. They have had a West Coast road trip earlier this year and beat the L.A. Chargers, so they're not strangers to that. This is the playoff debut of Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, and the Minnesota Vikings won their First road playoff game since 2004, and that was the year, and that was the last year of Dante Culpepper and Randy Moss. That's how long it had been since the Minnesota Vikings had won a playoff game on the road. When you look at this, when you look at this matchup, are you leaning towards Jimmy G or Kirk Cousins? Oh man, it's so tough, Evan. I'm leaning towards San Francisco. And Jimmy Garoppolo, because of what I've seen out of San Francisco the entirety of the year, I think they've been more consistent. But you look at this Minnesota Vikings team and what they've been able to do uh, with a 10-6 and record going into New Orleans and getting that win last week. Uh, you look at what they did. That is a, a really tough environment to go into. And they go win and beat the Saints 26 to 20 in overtime. Evan, this is a Saints team that everyone, you know, I, I, I say everyone, a lot of people had this team pegged as a Super Bowl team. They are, uh, they were, and they are that good at quarterback, at running back defensively. And I thought Minnesota came out, punched them in the mouth defensively, played great defense to hold that offense to 20 points. And they did exactly what they needed to do in terms of, hey, look, Let's ride Dalvin Cook. 28 carries, 94 yards, couple of touchdowns. Also had like 30-some-odd yards, I think, through the air in terms of receiving out of the backfield. This is a team in Minnesota that with Kirk Cousins, if they're able to effectively use and ride Dalvin Cook, we see how it opens up outside of that. And it's it's just an interesting dynamic because I like the 49ers. I like them and their consistency all year. They, they too, can put pressure on the quarterback uh, defensively up front, which I think is extremely important. And they have had a consistent rushing attack as well. It's kind of a, a three-headed monster back there with Tevin Coleman and uh, Raheem Mostert and Matt Breida. So they run the football as well. They have Debo Samuel, and they added Emmanuel Sanders, some of those weapons. So, you know, Evan, this first game for me is kind of a toss-up. I, 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 I'm I saying San Francisco. I think they've been a little bit more consistent showing it to me throughout the season. 
But I tell you what, it would not shock me if this Minnesota Vikings team uh, ended that uh, losing streak for uh, six seeds because I think they're playing really, really well. The Minnesota Vikings are the league's best defense against tight ends, but they have not played George Kittle. George Kittle is almost unstoppable. And it's perfect that once Gronk left and you're wondering who's going to replace Gronk, well, here comes George Kittle. Oh, absolutely. I'm leaning toward the 49ers. I think this game's going to be closer than people think it is. I th- I don't know what people are expecting in terms of what this game's going to look like. The worst case scenario for Minnesota is Kirk Cousins has a couple early turnovers and then you blink and the 49ers are up like 14 nothing. And the 49ers their their defense is a little bit banged up, but they still have Bosa and Richard Sherman, they're getting Quan Alexander back, which is huge. I'm leaning towards the San Francisco 49ers, who, by the way, are seven-point favorites going into this game. That's a big number. Now, that is a big number. Not quite as big as the two AFC matchups, but still a big number. I'm going to pick a final score for this one. I think San Francisco wins this game something along the lines of 28-24. If Minnesota has the ball last... They and the 49ers defense keeps them out of the end zone and they hang on and then they go to the NFC championship game, which they would host since they're the number one seed. That I, I'm right on board with that. I think this is a game similar to what we saw with the Saints. I think it's going to be played in the 20s. You're going to see good defensive football out of both of these teams. You know, the 49ers minus seven would scare me. Uh, that that is seven points. The way we saw Minnesota be able to keep it close running the football and playing good defense. Uh, you know, it, it would only take, you know, a, a touchdown late or something for for the 49ers. But those seven points is, is a decent number there. I see Minnesota playing this to a, a three or four point game for sure. I have a hard time believing that this game is going to be a blowout. Like, if this game turns into a blowout, it's because Minnesota had early turnovers and the 49ers cashed them in. And then you looked up and it's like 17 nothing in the first quarter. Which could happen because the way that Buckner, Armstead, and Bosa can get after people, it, they, it could be a long day for Kirk Cousins. Oh, no a doubt. Long I mean, day. The, way, the way that front plays, he's definitely going to be going to need to run the ball well and, and get the ball out of his hands quickly. There's no doubt about that. Also, they're getting D. Ford back this week, which is another pass rusher for the San Francisco 49ers. That game is at... 325 Central on Saturday. The Saturday marquee game, the Baltimore Ravens are nine and a half point favorites against the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans only had 72 yards passing against the New England Patriots. Derrick Henry accounted for, and I'm rounding up, but he accounted for 74% of the team's total offense last week. I don't see that happening again. The Tennessee Titans, this is a nice story, but for me, the road ends in Baltimore Saturday night. I agree. I think the road ends here, but I think the Titans can make it an interesting game because of the way that we saw them play it against the Patriots. They put Derrick Henry on their back and say, hey, we're going to run the football, control the clock. You know, I, I think Tannehill would have to have much more than 74 uh, for, or, you know, 70 some odd yards for them to win this game. I do like the Ravens as well. I think it's a disadvantage for the Titans. I believe they were like the only AFC, um, I think, what was it, the only AFC playoff team that hadn't played the Ravens So I, uh, in the regular season. So I think that is a disadvantage just because this will be the first time you're seeing them. You know, you're trying to mimic some of the things Lamar does. You do it, you, you know, you have a Marcus Mariota on your roster, but you, you simply just can't prep for him in that manner. So, I do like Baltimore in this game, but I do think uh, the Titans can make it interesting because of the way they have the potential to control the clock and control the ground game with Derrick Henry. The Titans' offense is a complete throwback. Everybody else is doing jet motions and open up the passing game and the air raid. Meanwhile, Tennessee's over here like, yeah, we're just going to give the ball to Derrick Henry 35 times and I dare (laughs) you to stop him which is exactly what they did. Also, there's going to be five Heisman Trophy winners in this game. Five Heisman Trophy winners. Lamar Jackson, Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram, Mariota, and RG3. Wow. Five Heisman Trophy winners. 
I want to see the Titans move on because I think this is an awesome story, but at the same time, I can't pick against Lamar Jackson. I I just can't do it. Like, why couldn't these two just meet in the AFC title game? I would have been so much happier if this was the AFC championship game, but the way the seeding shook out, it's it's just not possible. Do you think the nine and a half line is fair? Or is that a little too high for you? Uh, I don't know, man. I think it's anytime you get those high numbers, they, you know, they, they scare me a little bit. You know, I, I some, somehow I was ridiculous and thought the saints were going to somehow cover that big line that they had, but you get these big point spreads. Man, these are these are play these are NFL playoff games. You know, usually the scoring margins come down. You know, you're not putting up 35, 40 points. You're playing games in the 20s. Every possession is important. You know, those eight and a half, nine, nine and a half point spreads. Maybe they work a little bit in some of these early rounds, but any of those big numbers scare me off just because of the fact that these games are usually played in the 20s. And, you know, one turnover, one small mistake, and, you know, that, that costs you. So, I don't know. Some of, those, some of those numbers scare me away just because these games are usually so close and come down to the wire that, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily have a chance to, to bury somebody by 10, 11, 12 points. Who has more rushing yards, uh, Lamar Jackson or Derrick Henry? Ooh, that's a good one. I would say... I would say Derrick Henry because of uh, just sheer volume. I would say t- I would say that too. It's highly unlikely that Lamar Jackson runs the ball over twenty times in this game. I mean, L- Derrick Henry is going to get the ball at least twenty-five times in this game. Like th- that's that is like the floor. I I I could see him getting the ball 25, 28, maybe even thirty times because Ryan Tannehill only threw the ball what fourteen times. Last week, against uh, the New England Patriots. Yeah, that, I mean, the, the, they're definitely going to rely on Henry. Uh, so I would say Henry there, just because I think he could get thirty carries. That'd be the only reason that I that I would go Henry over Lamar Jackson in terms of rushing yards. Do Do you think that this game? Uh, do you think that this game? Whoever wins this is somehow I'm trying to figure out a way to like phrase this in a way that doesn't sound insane, but do you think that whoever wins this game has a lot more momentum going into the AFC championship game, even though there's a chance that Patrick Mahomes could be standing right there at the end of it? I think it's possible. I, you know, I'm curious to see the Ravens, you know, they had the bye, they rested starters. So, you know, they might come out a little rusty. This Titans team has nothing to lose. They've been playing, uh, you know, meaningful games down the stretch. You know, they had to win their last game of the year, I believe, to get in. So that's, you know, the way that the Titans have played down the stretch. You know, they have, everything is counted. They've had nothing, and they've had nothing to lose, you know. No, you know, people were not picking them against the Patriots. People are not picking them against the Ravens. If they were able to beat the Ravens, people would say, "Nope, it's going to end here uh, against the, against you know the Chiefs or against the Texans." So, you know, it, it would be it would be tough for me to pick the Titans against like a Chiefs just because of the way that I think the Chiefs are playing here uh, late in the season. I think they've really improved, uh, particularly defensively. And with Patrick Mahomes, they're playing at a very high level right now. I don't think the Titans get by the Ravens, so I don't think it'll be. I think it'll be a moot point there. But it, you know, they would have a lot of momentum if they're able to get past the Ravens because now you've beat New England, now you've beat Baltimore. Then you would carry a ton of confidence uh, into a game against the Texans or the Chiefs. What I think would be the Chiefs. So you know, you you never say never, and you you just. You see how it plays out because we've seen these we've seen these games go according to script and and we've seen these games especially in the playoffs crazy things happen you you just never know. One final stat for you: the Tennessee Titans have the fourth worst red zone defense in terms of points allowed per appearance at five point two six, which means that if the Ravens get inside the twenty, there is a good chance that that drive is going to end at a touchdown. Moving on to the other AFC matchup, 
It is Mahomes versus Deshaun Watson. That is also a nine and a half point spread. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs got a first round bye because Ryan Fitzpatrick had one more magic trick left in him and knocked the New England Patriots down to the three seed, which I wonder if uh, Patrick Mahomes sent a, uh, a thank you gift to Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Miami Dolphins for winning that game because otherwise they would have gotten the Tennessee Titans last Saturday and Patrick Mahomes could be sitting at home right now. But Mahomes versus Watson. Are these the most, in terms of just available quarterbacks, excluding Lamar Jackson, is this the most interesting mobile quarterback versus mobile quarterback game left available? Oh, for sure. I, I definitely, I definitely think that if you're, you know, excluding Lamar Jackson and his mobility, but this is, you know, this is a matchup that pits those, those two types of players against each other. You know, you, Aaron Rodgers not as mobile as Russell Wilson. You know, you look at uh, obviously Lamar Jackson much more mobile than Tannehill. Cousins and Garoppolo mobility is about the same. So no, definitely when you look at these two guys, the way that they play, the style is very similar. So pitting them against each other. Uh, is definitely going to be a good matchup. This one I see being much more, you know, much closer to the nine and a half that the Chiefs are getting. I still think, you know, that's such a big number. But the way the Chiefs are playing right now, the Texans, you know, needed a, a flag football play from Deshaun Watson bouncing off of a couple of guys that, you know, that didn't grab his flag. They couldn't make the tackle on the uh, meet at the quarterback. And he's able to roll out and make the play. I, I just... I'm not as confident in this Texans team uh, as I am when I look at how the Chiefs are playing, particularly defensively. Uh, We know what they have in Mahomes, Tyreek Hill and company, Damian Williams on offense. They were able to rest Texans coming off of that uh, hard-fought game against the Bills, really a a smash-mouth sort of game. I love watching these two guys play football. I love watching these two guys play against each other. It will be a good game from that regard, but I, I don't think the Texans... Uh, have enough to just to just keep up with the Chiefs at this point. They did play each other in the regular season in Week Six in a game that the Houston Texans did win in Kansas City. So the Houston Texans do have the regular season matchup. Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones are listed as questionable. Uh, do you think they play? Yes. Both of them, or just or or is one? Do you think one of them sits out? No, I, 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 you know, they are, they're both going to be, be out there and give it a go. I mean, you know, at this point in the year, this is, if you're questionable, I mean, you have to, I think really, really, really be hurt. I'm not super familiar with, um, Jones's injury, but the way that, you know, Kansas city having that by being able to rest, I definitely think you'll see those guys out there. Kelsey was limited in practice all week with a knee injury and Chris Jones has a calf injury. They're both listed as questionable. According to Cody Clark and myself, they are going more than likely to play. Will Fuller is a game-time decision with a groin with a groin injury. And if you look at the stats between the Houston Texans offense, when they have Fuller versus when they don't, the difference is jarring from when they have Will Fuller on the field versus when they don't. When it comes to the AFC, we're starting to see the guys we grew up with leave. Like Phillip Rivers might be done, Big Ben, Tom Brady, they're at the end of the line. When they retire, the AFC is in great hands. We've got Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson. Like, these are young, exciting, dynamic quarterbacks, and it's really exciting that we're all getting to see them at the same time going against each other, competing for Super Bowls. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, a guy that hasn't had as much success but did this year, and I think you know, the Titans are going to keep him around. Ryan Tannehill, you know, if, if Henry's able to continue to play at this type of level, I think Tannehill is successful, and he's not very old, maybe 31, 32. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I know the other guys we're talking about, obviously, are, are in their 20s and much younger, but Tannehill's a re- relatively young guy that I think has this Titans team playing at a level where you could see them su- sustaining some success for a few years. So, no, you're exactly right. This, particularly in the AFC, man, a loaded, loaded field of young, uh, younger quarterbacks really, really going to make for some interesting matchups as the years go on. Because you're right, we're seeing, you know, we're nearing the end of Tom Brady. We're nearing the end of Phillip Rivers. You know, I think we'll see Big Ben for another couple of years, but that'll probably be about it for him. So 
some of these guys are going to move on, and we're seeing the matchups here. Deshaun Watson versus uh, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson and Tannehill in the AFC, Josh Allen there as well. You're seeing the the young quarterbacks, are, you know, they're going to come to the forefront as these guys as, that you mentioned, you know, retire and move on. And we haven't even mentioned it. Joe Burrow is the heavy favorite to get drafted to the Cincinnati Bengals. That's another young AFC guy that's going to be in there with Mahomes, Watson, Lamar Jackson, assuming Cincinnati does what everyone universally believes they're going to do and take Joe Burrow number one overall. My pick for the AFC Championship game is going to be Mahomes-Jackson 3. Is that yours as well? Yes, yes. I think the Ravens are going to be a little bit too much for the Titans, and I think uh, Deshaun Watson not going to be able to overcome the Chiefs. I think they're playing much better defensively. I think they're able to get after Watson a little bit, and Kansas City uh, wins that game. Mahomes-Jackson 3 is our pick for the AFC championship game on the 19th of January. And finally, the fourth and final game that I can't figure out which way to go on this. The Green Bay Packers versus the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle beat what was left of a injury-riddled Philadelphia (laughs) Eagles team that had 40-year-old Josh McCown still in the red zone with two minutes to go with a chance to tie that game. Also, interesting note about that game, Jadavion Clowney was not fined for that hit on Carson Wentz. He was not flagged, and he will not be fined. The the Lambeau, the Lambeau Field parking lot and the actual stadium was getting shoveled out by volunteers. The city of Green Bay, Wisconsin, put out a notice asking for volunteers to help so- shovel snow. It is supposed to be a cold miserable day outside in Lambeau Fav- conditions that traditionally have favored green Bay. I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers and the green Bay Packers in this one, but I don't feel great about it. Cody, what say you? <laughs> I'm right there with you. I-, I would lean towards the Packers. I think uh, a-, a guy named Aaron is going to play a big role in this, but I think it's Aaron Jones and not as much Aaron Rodgers for this Packers team. If they're going to get it done, Jones is going to be a big part of it because they're going to have to run the football against the Seahawks team. But Evan, you're exactly right. The line is four and a half here. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Russell Wilson, it's just all of these games are close. All of these games are one possession games. All of these games come down to the wire. You pointed it out. Philadelphia down to the backup quarterback that probably hadn't seen snaps Uh, you know, meaningful snaps in terms of even getting practice reps in God knows how many weeks, and they're in the red zone toward the end of the game. I mean, this Seahawks team just plays close games. It doesn't matter who it's against. The games are tight, and that's the way they're played. And we're going to see that same type of game, especially you're going to see conditions. The field is going to be frozen. You're going to see potential snow during the contest as well. We're in for another... 17 to 12, you know, 21 to 17, 23 to 20 type of game here, I think. And and it's going to be a good one. Aaron Rodgers versus Russell Wilson. A couple of the, Russell Wilson, not old, but a couple of the elder statesmen in terms of the guys in the playoff field for Russell Wilson uh, to, to go against Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. So I would also lean towards the Packers, but I really like what the Seahawks team is doing. The only thing that scares me is, you know, the lack of a consistent run game for Seattle. You know, I think they're going to commit to it. They are going to run the football. It doesn't matter if it's for, you know, one yard per carry. They are going to run the ball because that helps sets uh, that helps set up what uh, Russell Wilson does. But just the lack of consistency there with all of the injuries they've had. Although I do like the kid Homer in the backfield for Seattle. I think. He could can make a little bit of a difference, but Evan, we've talked about it ad nauseum this year. This is a much improved Packers defense uh, than previous iterations uh, in recent years, and so uh, my gut tells me the Packers. I think we're in for a good game. Both of those guys dueling Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. So I will pick the Packers, but again, I not necessarily super confident in that. The Seahawks running backs last week had 17 carries for a total of 19 yards. Not an inspiring performance running the football. And it is 
the weather for Green Bay, especially with all of the snowfall that they're expected to get, the that that game is on Sunday. The Green Bay weather forecast on Sunday has a high of 23 degrees, and the East Central Wisconsin is currently in a winter storm warning. Of course they are. Because of course they are. This is going to be a cold, miserable day if the, if the uh, weather predictions hold up. And whoever wins this game will happily take the trip to Santa Clara after us playing Sunday night on the frozen tundra, which it actually is going to be the frozen tundra. It's like, please, please get me to Santa Clara if the 49ers Oh, I mean, win. of course. I mean, you, you have to thaw out after that game, but... Eh. You know, another. You know, this matchup we talked about another good one. Another, we're gonna get another close game. We're gonna get you know Super Bowl winning quarterbacks going at it with Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. And I think Aaron Jones is the X factor in this ball game. You know, this Seattle defense has been decent, but you know we've seen uh, how they've done in terms of going against some of these guys. And Aaron Jones is a guy that can can run the ball between the tackles. He can catch the ball out of the backfield and stretch the defense out wide that way. Uh, we've seen him really, really wreck defenses by himself. And he's going to be the key guy for the Packers because, you know, when we get these cold conditions, when you get these types of scenarios, you know, it comes down to, you know, along the defensive and offensive lines, and it comes down to who can control the game uh, particularly with a, a running back like Aaron Jones and not make mistakes. I think that's the other very, very important part, especially when you're playing a game in the weather conditions that we expect uh, these two teams to be playing in. If you were to pick one of these games to be a blowout, and I can and I define blowout by winning by 14 or more points, what is the most likely that game that we're going to get a blowout? I, I think it comes in the AFC. Oh, man, it's it's tough for me to pick there. I picked Houston, Kansas City because Patrick Mahomes and that offense, everything could be fine, and then you look up and, like, boom, boom, boom. It's like the Golden State Warriors. Like, okay, you're you're up by, you know, you're only down by five. Steph Curry hits a couple threes. Like, wait, we're, up, we're down by 16? What, what happened here? Like, if you're not careful, Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Kelsey, they can put points on you real quick. And that no, that's, th- that three that's point hole fair. could turn into a twenty four point hole real fast. Ah, uh, that's fair, but you know, I, I would lean towards Titans Ravens because I think when you look at so I agree with your points about Kansas City, but then I look on the other side and I have a guy like Deshaun Watson. If the Ravens come out like gangbusters as they have in the past, they haven't skipped a beat. Lamar Jackson puts up fourteen quick points in the fourth in the first quarter. I think that game is over because the Titans aren't built to win that type of game. I know they've been putting up points, but if you know, you've got the Ravens in the way that they've been playing defense against this Titans team, if you're asking this Titans team to try and score, you know, 28 to 30 in a playoff game, I don't see that happening. So, you know, if you have the Ravens come out and score a couple of times quickly, that is disadvantaged Titans in my book. And so I would say the Titans are the most success uh, susceptible, excuse me, that Ravens-Titans game if you're looking for a 14-plus a point game. Even after all of that offensive production, the Houston, the Houston, the Tennessee offense only put up 13 points. They got to 20 because of that pick six. The Baltimore Ravens have scored at least 20 points in every game this season. They're going to need to score multiple touchdowns to hang with them. I think it's going to be closer... Than, than this game because of Tennessee's grinded out six, seven-minute drives that Baltimore's not going to get a lot of chances to hang points on Tennessee unless they get a couple of turnovers, which Tennessee doesn't really do. My pick for the blowout is just because we know how explosive and quick-striking this Kansas City offense is where, like, you blink and you're down two touchdowns. Oh, you're exactly right. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, but you know, I think the Ravens have the the potential to come out and put up a couple of touchdowns early and really put the Titans in a in a hole trying to figure out how to score quickly and keep up. Well, the divisional round starts on Saturday. 
it's really exciting time. We're going to find out who the final four will be after Sunday night. But on Monday night, we finally get the college football playoff. The line is now Clemson is now a six-point underdog because, Cody, according to multiple sports books, around, quote, 80 to 90% of the money on this game is being put on LSU. I, are are we overlooking Clemson this year? Because they are the defending national champions, and Trevor Lawrence has yet to lose a game in his college football career. No, it's a great point. You know, I, I mean, obviously people are over people that are betting on the game are overlooking this Clemson Tigers team. I'm not overlooking them because I think this could be a shootout of a ball game. Clemson has the weapons. We've seen LSU be susceptible defensively in uh in quite a few matchups this year. So, you know, for me, this could absolutely be a, a, a matchup where, you know, Lawrence and Burrow are matching each other throw for throw. I mean, uh, you know, all of the money's coming in on LSU. So, of course, if you're trying to make money, you're, you're looking for that, that Clemson bet that's going to win you some money. But I think, we may be, I think we may be overlooking this Clemson team. But then you look at it and, and say, you know, it, it's not really overlooking Clemson. It's... It's just looking at how damn good LSU has been in terms of with Joe Burrow and offensively. I mean, they they can score they can score forty or fifty on anybody, and so it's just you look at it, and I don't necessarily think there's a concerted effort to overlook Clemson, but you just look at how dominant LSU has been, and you just you know you're going to have a lot of the money coming in on them because of the way they've performed throughout the gauntlet of their schedule. Uh, so you look at you look at that, but but then again, Evan, you know, you look at the flip side, and you made a great point. You know, Clemson is the defending national champions, and I, I don't think people are taking that seriously enough in terms of been there, done that, have proven to be able to play those sorts of games on that level. Trevor Lawrence, as you mentioned, uh, you know, he he didn't have Joe Burrow numbers, but he is a a Joe Burrow talent type of talent and so I think these two guys are going to go at it I think we're going to see like a a 35-31 type of game here are some important stats the LSU offense and red zone scoring percentage has an otherworldly 97.1 percent scoring percentage and they have a touchdown rate of 78.6 percent Clemson is second nationally in red zone touchdown rate allowed 36% and have only allowed 28 red zone trips all year. On the flip side, Clemson has a 75.4% red zone touchdown rate, which is ninth, and LSU's defense is ranked 84th in touchdown percentage allowed in the red zone at 63.2%. Granted, a lot of those games were blowouts, but the four games between Texas, Florida, Auburn, and Alabama... They had 19 combined trips in the red zone. 12 of those trips ended up in touchdowns. Wow. Red zone offense is going to red zone offense and defense is going to be important, especially when it saved Clemson's bacon in that game against Ohio State. Oh, absolutely. It, but I mean, you know, you look at all these games and red zone efficiency is is important for all of these teams in any sort of playoff games because you just there usually are reduced opportunities when you get to these types of ball games. And so are you able to score a touchdown instead of come away with a field goal? That's a four, a four point difference there. And that's a big difference. And when you're going against these teams, you know, Evan, when you're going against the Trevor Lawrence led offense, or you're going against a Joe Burrow led offense, three points is not going to cut it. You have to get seven. And seven we might get. This is a game that could end up being in the 40s or 50s. I mean, Clemson has a really good defense, but they might have to go score for score with LSU. Who is the most important non-quarterback player in this game? Not counting Joe Burrow, not counting Trevor Lawrence, the most important non-quarterback player for either team. Oh, easy for me. It's Clyde Edwards-Elair of LSU. Where is he in terms of health? Because I do think the way that Clemson plays, they're going to put up points. And I think it's going to be important for LSU 
to be able to operate at their full capacity, and that includes Clyde Edwards-Elaire out of the backfield for LSU. He's the easy pick for me. Uh, LSU clearly showed that without him 100% healthy, they can put up points and score. But I, I do think Clemson, with the experience that they have and the weapons they have offensively, they bring a little bit of a, a different dynamic than Ohio State does. They, you know, Clemson can hit you with Travis Etienne, but then they have a couple of pros out wide as well. And so for me, uh, the health and how Clyde Edwards-Elair is able to affect the ball game is he is easily my pick for most important non-quarterback of the game. Clyde Edwards-Elair is also an important player out of the backfield from October 26th to the SEC title game in a six-game stretch. He caught 38 passes for 325 yards and a touchdown, and he had seven catches or more against Auburn, Alabama, Arkansas, and Georgia in that stretch. And on top of all that, Clemson has to cover Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Thaddeus Moss, and Terrace Marshall, plus Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a threat out of the backfield. That is a five-headed monster that Joe Burrow can go through. He has almost a full chamber of receivers to go through, so it's not as simple as, if we well, if we take away Jamar Chase, their passing game goes away. He's got four other guys he can throw to, and that is is why Joe Burrow was putting up almost 80% completions because it wasn't focusing on one guy. Oh, you take away Jamar Chase? No problem. I'm just going to throw it to Edwards Hilaire. You take him away? Okay, Thaddeus Moss is going to get a few catches. I don't know how this Clemson defense is going to stop all of these guys. I don't I don't see how either defense stops these guys. I, I've, I, I Like I said, we're going to see a game in the 30s. We could see a game in the 40s. I mean... And it would not shock – I mean, it honestly would not shock me if one of these teams put up 50. These offenses are that good and have that many different weapons that they can hit you with. And it's not like Trevor Lawrence has duds. He's, th- he's throwing it to Justin Ross and T. Higgins, who are going to be high draft picks. And out of the backfield, Travis Etienne caught the game-winning touchdown against Ohio State. At the end of this, do you think we're in for the highest-scoring national championship I think we might be in for the highest scoring national championship. Oh, I do. Like I said, I I, I think you could you could easily see eighty plus points scored here. The this is probably the most exciting game. It's so exciting. We're like the fact that we had to wait until the thirteenth to get this game is actually kind of cruel that we had to wait from the twenty eighth of December to January thirteenth, like. I wanted those two to play, like, the next day. Like, can we get these guys to New Orleans tomorrow so we can get this game? Oh, I mean, I, I hear you. I, I'm really looking forward to watching it. I think we're going to – I think we're, we're we're in for a shootout, and you're going to see, you know, the the presumable number one pick in the draft, NFL draft this year, Joe Burrow. You're going to see the presumable number one pick in the draft next year, Trevor Lawrence. There is NFL talent all over the field at running back wide receiver. Uh, you're going to see a lot of guys that you're going to eventually see playing on Sundays, uh, which is going to make for a very, very, very exciting national championship game on Monday night. One stat about Joe Burrow. If your solution to Joe Burrow is to just blitz him on every play, that's a bad idea because according to Pro Football Focus, when he is pressured, he is completing 69.3% of his passes and has a passer rating of 146.5. So blitzing Joe Stupid Burrow... Good does not work and he can also run when he has to so it's not like he's just a statue throwing the ball 60 70 yards down the field at the end of this game i don't think four quarters is enough we're gonna need we're gonna need i think at least two overtimes to settle lsu clemson four quarters isn't gonna be enough dang nice hey i mean i I hope that's the case more more watching of these teams I'm totally fine with because I think it's going to be a very exciting game. You called Clyde Edwards-Hilaire the most important non-quarterback. Why not Why not Clemson's running back, Travis Etienne? He's just as dangerous. No, he is. That's a great point. I, I you know, I, I'm just going with Edwards-Hilaire because of his health. I, you know, I know that Etienne is going to be healthy, so I'm relying on him. LSU may not be able to rely on him as much. And so you, you look at it and, and say, you know, that takes away some of what we can do. But he's the most important because if Clyde Edwards-Elair 
is healthy and he's able to go 100%, I give the nod to LSU on offense. If he's not, then you know I think it's a, a little bit more even there. So I, I think it's Edwards Elaire because of his health. Because if he is 100%, as I said, there's no way Clemson is there's no way Clemson is is stopping this LSU team, you know, three times throughout the course of the night. Okay, here's my final score. LSU wins this game 44-42 in three overtimes because Clemson doesn't get the two-point conversion to send it to overtime number four. That I'd is be my fine with that. That is my bold prediction with Joe Burrow walking away with MVP status with MVP throwing four touchdown passes cody your final score and mvp uh let me say mvp joe burrow uh lsu wins and it's going to be i don't think i don't think you'll have that many overtimes we might see one but let me say it's going to be 41 to 35 right 40 a little bit more conservative on the score line why i don't know just just for the hell of it 44 42 is my pick for the final score and what was your pick for the final score 41 35 but my game has three overtimes in it almost a fourth but the two-point conversion for clemson falls short either way we are in for on paper probably the most anticipated and exciting national championship game since LS, not LS, USC, Texas, the Vince Young, Matt Leinert game. Sounds good to me. I definitely think that is, uh, we can be looking at that. Can, can you think of a national championship that had this much hype and excitement around it? Because I have to go all the way back to that 2006 Rose Bowl. I can't really think of anything else that like matches this level of intrigue and excitement. No, I agree because of the way that Joe Burrow has played. You know, when you had those Alabama-Clemson matchups, I think everyone geared up and got excited for those. But, you know, we saw that two, three, two, three, four times. So I think people are just really, really excited to see uh, a couple of different teams in there in terms of LSU's resurgence. Not a couple of different teams, but a different team in there in terms of LSU's resurgence. And then to be able to see these offenses go head-to-head, I, I think that uh, that has people really, really excited. And we are two of those people who are really, really excited. That game on Monday, January 13th. Cody, that is all of the stuff we have covered. Is there anything that you'd like to say before we wrap up the show? I don't think so, man. I'm looking forward to a good weekend of football, and it's going to carry over into Monday night. You know, we're going to have, you know, I think think Packers-Seahawks is fascinating. I think Lamar Jackson's performance against the Titans, I think that's intriguing to watch. And then we could get the most exciting college football game we've seen in quite a while on Monday night. So great weekend of football ahead. Tremendous weekend of football and Monday ahead. Uh, This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, When we come back, the NFL field will be trimmed down to four. And then we'll go into who will punch their tickets to Miami February 2nd for Super Bowl 54. We're we're almost there, February 2nd. And then, right after that, the XFL season is starting the week after. A lot of exciting stuff going on. I'm I'm pumped up. Like, I just want to go watch all these games right now, but I can't because they're not on. For Cody Clark, I'm Evan Eichen saying so long, and we'll see you next week.